Let's go ahead and get started. Catch you afterwards. Does that work? Yeah. All right, great. It's good to see everybody. Let's go ahead and get started. Kind of hit the ground running. We're going to finish up chapter eight here in Free to Love. Um, I've intentionally not rushed it because the, the content of this is so critical and so important that I didn't want to rush. And we're really getting into a really critical piece of this in chapter 8. So if you do have your book and you want to turn there, that's fine. We're going to be starting about the middle of that. And you'll see some of this if you want to follow along. But again, we'll have it on the screen. So I uh, do want to say and go ahead and announce this. I know some of you are already aware of this, but Melissa Hughes uh, passed peacefully in the night last night. Um, I was blessed to be able to go out and spend some time with Melissa and Chuck and Seth yesterday. Just me, the elders and I were all going to go tomorrow, but I really felt a prompting to go. I felt like if I didn't go, I'd regret it. I, didn't, I just told Annette, I said, I'm supposed to go out there. I'm going to go ahead and ring Chuck up and go. So I did, and I'm so glad we did because we had such a sweet time. And I have to tell you, I want to encourage you that when I walked in her room, the peace of God was all over the place. And uh, even though, you know, physically she's in a bad place, that smile would never left her face. And I began to share testimonies because they haven't been able to be here in a while. And I was sharing testimonies of what God's been doing here. And she just smiled and said, yes, and amen. And, and uh, so it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. I actually left invigorated and excited, knowing full well, well where it was going to go, but also full well uh, that she has a peace of God that passes all understanding. So anyway, that's a very short version of that visit, but uh, I'm just so thankful I got to get some hang time with an awesome family. And so we are family, they are family, we're all better together, and I know everybody will have a chance to get some time and some hugs and some all that. And uh, if you know Chuck, he's, a little, he's, he's not a big hugger guy, he's, he's a guy, he's a dude. But I'm telling you, I told him this morning when he called, I said, look, I said, just get ready. You're going to get overwhelmed. Just let people love you. Just let us love you. And so uh, uh, we'll see what happens over the next few days. We don't have any details yet. The, all the planning will be done tomorrow. And so we'll, we'll make an announcement on social media. We'll probably send out an email to the church, too, as well. And if you opted in for the text, we'll probably do it, bump a text out to everybody as well. So be watching for that. And uh, be praying for Chuck and Seth in the next few days, weeks, and months as they navigate the grief process and mourning, but also a celebration. So, amen. So I just want to give that update as we got started. Um, she left a mark that will never be erased, amen. And I, I told Chuck this morning, I said, I think she's probably already gathered the 24 elders up in heaven and already having a pep rally, <laughs> teaching them how to worship. So I, I, just, I just have these beautiful pictures in my mind of of her uh, just causing all kinds of wonderful havoc up there. So in a good way, in a good way. So anyway, so do be praying for him. So let's pray as we get started and we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together tonight to study your word. And I thank you for your word. Your words are life to us. Your words are health to our bones, the scripture says. And so we're grateful. And Lord, even as we continue to study and immerse ourselves, I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would teach us not just the content in a book, but the life, the life that's in the word, the life that's in the scriptures, that you would teach us. And so, Lord, we posture ourselves not only as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, but also we posture ourselves as disciples, followers of Jesus, students of Jesus, students of your word. And Father, we thank you. And Lord, we do. We're mindful that, uh, that difficult things are having to be navigated by all of us. And even now with 
Melissa graduating and being promoted into your presence, Lord, perpetually. We just speak life and peace and grace over Chuck and Seth and other family members and friends and us as family. And so, Lord, we will lean in and we will mourn and grieve as you've given us that gift. We will do so and want to grieve well. And so, Lord, we hold that family up. We present them before the throne of grace. It's not a throne that's, that uh, looks like grace or a throne that's filled with grace. It's a throne of grace. And I thank you that you sit on that throne. And as we present Chuck and Seth to you, there's mercy, grace, and help in their time of need. So thank you that you're near and that you're here. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Free to Love, chapter 8. We're going to start kind of in the middle there, and you can see up on the screen the slide that we're going to start with. We're talking about this idea of, of Christ is our source. He is the source. He is the way. He is the truth, and He is the life, not a way, a truth, and a life, right? And so as we lean into that, and I do have to tell you this, I had a blast yesterday. I, you know, uh, we were Oak Hills for 10 years, and, and our DNA strand will always have a DNA piece of that. And I was blessed to get to speak to 360 ladies yesterday as they kicked off their women's ministry uh, a semester. And you'll never guess what I spoke on, what I preached on. Identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. And it was so beautiful getting to share these truths that, that we talk about a lot here. I mean, you guys have heard this over and over. And just to see the lights coming on and just to hear the energy in the room was just a beautiful moment. And, and so what we do all the time, they got a big dose of that yesterday. And uh, Max just wrote me a minute ago just talking about it. And so it's just really, really neat that we still get to minister to family as family. We're still family, right? And so it's a beautiful thing. And so what reminded me is I just quoted that scripture because that's kind of what one of part of what I talked about was the fact that Jesus is not a life. He is the life. There's a life. There's a way to live. But we're not just about a way to live. We're about the way to live. Amen? And that means knowing him, walking with him. That means experiencing Him. It means encountering Him in the good days and on the rough days. And what I love about Jesus, this is the thing that, again, when this finally landed in my heart and went off in me like thunder in my soul, was the day I realized that Jesus loves me the same on my worst, darkest day, in the middle of my worst, darkest decision. He loves me the same as on my best day, on the best day I ever had, on the best day that I felt like, oh my gosh, life is going great. I'm hitting on all eight cylinders. I'm on the mountaintop. Life is good. I can wear my ball cap that says that and feel it and believe it. Yet he loves me the same on my worst day. And when that truth landed in me, that's the difference between a life and the life. When he not only becomes a part of your life, he becomes your life. And then everything in you, in him we live and move and have our being. Everything emanates out of that. I mean, it's literally like he's the hub of the wheel, and he's the wheel. And we get to participate and ride along with him. And so as we go through this, the idea is here. Look at this. Christ will be the source. And there's the critical piece. Because we don't want to live a self-reliant life. What's hard for me and some of you guys who grew up 
uh, in the South and in Texas where self-reliance and independence is in our DNA strand. I mean, it's in Texas soil. It's in, the, it's in the very soil. It's in everything we're about, even as Texans, is this independence. I mean, we still think we're a separate nation. Amen? The Republic of Texas? Amen. Long live the Republic. I know. And so when I lived in Nashville, they got real tired of me saying things like that. Because In fact, some friends of mine are like, have you ever thought about moving back to Texas? Because you really talk a lot about it. And I'm like, yeah, I have all the time. So, and here we are. But we're proud of that. We're proud of our independence. The only caveat and the flip side to that is that as followers of Jesus, it can actually work against us. That independent spirit, that pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that cowboy up, that get her done mentality doesn't work in the kingdom because God has designed us to not just be independent, but to be interdependent, to be dependent upon him, to follow him moment by moment, day by day. I love Isaiah 30. It says, and you'll hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it, whether you turn to the right hand or to the left. And it's that idea of I'm in lockstep with him, and as he, as he leads, I follow. And so I had, to, I had to flip a lot of my upbringing and a lot of the mentality I was raised in and the culture I was I had to flip all that over on the side and just say, you know what? That may work in some realms, that may work when you're swinging a hammer or, or, or chopping wood or you know, whatever, swinging a yo-yo out in a pasture. But what works in my life as a follower of Jesus is being utterly dependent upon him. He's not a life. He's the life, and he is my source. Christ will be the source to free you from the bondage created by your solical plaque and free you to love others with his unconditional agape love, the God kind of love. Solical plaque... It's the same uh, metaphor as we would use for if someone was, in reality, having heart issues because they have plaque in their vessels and veins. And what does that create? It creates strokes. It creates poor circulation. It gums up the works. So just like we can have literal physical plaque, we can also have solical plaque. And it gums up the works. And it's all the things that trip us up. Self-reliance. The idea that I can do this. The idea that I don't need God because I don't want to bother him with this little thing. And God is all the while sitting on his throne of grace saying, please bother me. Please ask. Let your request be made known to me, he says in Philippians. When Paul wrote that beautiful, beautiful letter to the Philippians. And he said this, be anxious for nothing. Don't sweat the small stuff as that's how it's translated. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, come on, bring, what, bring it to me. Oh, I don't want to bother him. What? If I'm dependent upon him, of course I want to bring it to him. And I lay things before him, and then I trust him with it. I don't, I don't, I don't lay it before him and then go try to make it happen. I trust him. I release that. I practice the one-minute pause. I hope you've been trying that. God, Father, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. Just releasing, releasing, and letting, let go and let God, as we used to say, right? And so the solical plaque gums up the works. But when we can get free and get that taken care of, not only are we free to live, we're free to love. And that's really what this is all about. It's interesting. I had a, a friend of mine who 
we'd been talking to him about becoming an elder in our church in Abilene. And, and I remember one day, he and his wife we were talking, and they just, they just said to me, they said, they said you know, Jimmy, we, we don't, the reason we don't do a small group is we just don't like people very much. And I said, what did you just say? <laughs> I, just, I thought maybe I misheard, because I do mishear things, just ask Annette. And she says I have selective hearing. But, um, and I said, what did you say? And they both echoed it. They said, well, we don't, we don't do a small group because we, we just don't really like people. I'm like, how can you love God but not love people? I, it just did not even register with me. And uh, we had several conversations subsequently to that. And, and I found it's not that they didn't love people. They just got annoyed with people, and they were peopled out at the moment that I asked about it. So it wasn't like they don't, but it, but it just caught me off guard. But here's another thing. There's some stuff there. And there were some things in their life and their relationship and their family that needed to be, the layers needed to be peeled back. They needed wholeness. They needed healing. And so they had solical plaque that was blocking it, and they just, well, we just don't really love, we don't really care for people. <laughs> but here's the beauty. When you're free, you're not just free to live, but you're free to love. And that's where we want to get to that place where we get around people, and instead of it just being a horrific drain, it's actually energizing to us. And here's the thing. I've told you this before, not everybody, but I'm actually an introvert. No, I... I you laugh. You mock. I literally am an introvert, but I'm an extra. I'm a gregarious introvert, which means that all that means by introvert, by the way, just in case you're wondering, extrovert, introvert, uh, it literally doesn't mean that you don't like being around people. It just means that you've got to go charge your batteries. That's how you recharge. So it doesn't mean you don't want to be around people, you don't love people, but when I'm around people, like on Sunday afternoons, if I play on the worship team, and I do, like this Sunday was really, so Russ and I were all up here early, we play on the worship team, I preach two services, and then we go do another meeting after church, which is our, our intro to small groups and uh, connect groups. And I loved every second of it, but when I was driving home, I was starting to get woozy at the wheel. I just was, my battery was drained. Now, here's the deal, though. I love people so much that if the phone rings, I'm going to answer it. I'm not going to blow you off. But that idea, I have to recharge my batteries often. An extrovert actually gets lit up, and they charge by being with people. So that's how you know whether you're an introvert. It's not, it's not your personality, whether you're gregarious or not. It's actually how do you recharge? What, bring, what fills your bucket? What charges your batteries? And so for me, I'm a gregarious introvert. So I love people, and I, it sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? I love people and love being around people. In fact, I adore people. But there comes a point where I have to go, okay, i got to pull aside, and I have to quote Jesus and say, you know, let's go over to the other side of the lake. <laughs> I, need, I need some downtime. And that's just the way it is, the way I'm wired. So here's the thing. I want to be free to love people, not based on personality, not based on physical or psycho-emotional needs, but just free so that when I'm with people, it's just love. And I've talked a lot to Bill about this, um, Bill Loveless, Uncle Bill. Um, I've talked to him a lot about this and the idea of not just doing loving things, and we quoted Dallas Willard when we start this, but actually becoming love. And I know that kind of sounds like it's hard to wrap your mind around a little bit because it's kind of a sort of an abstract concept. But the idea that we're not just doing loving things, but we're actually showing up and saying, Jesus, so fill me 
So fill me with who you are. So fill me with your presence that I actually become love because God is what? First John. God is love. So it's not about just doing love. It's about being love, becoming love. It's, it's the idea of are you a human being or a human doing? I hope you're a human being. You're a human being being human. And so it's a being thing. It's just who you are. And if love is God's identity, and I've been created, and you've been created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, then should it not be our identity? And shouldn't we be known for the love we have for one another? Amen? Does that make sense? So when I hear a Christian slandering another believer, or cutting somebody down, or gossiping, or backbiting, I, I, I kind of go all, all Apostle Paul on them. It's like, well, are you kidding me? What are you doing? What are you thinking? How can you even, if you're a follower of Jesus, how can you even enter into that, that arena of slander and backbiting and division? I, listen, Paul was all about love, but I'm telling you, he did some tough love when it came to those kinds of things because he didn't want to tolerate that which tore other people down. Because we're not here to tear one another down. Amen? We're here to build one another up and blow wind underneath your wings so that you get lift. That's what we're here for. But we can't do it unless we're free to love. Here's why. Hurt people hurt people. Broken people break people. Here's a sad and tragic piece. Bound people bind people. And so we want to be free Get rid of this solical plaque so that when we're around people, all that happens is love comes out of us. Now, I'm not talking about you just doing love. I'm saying when you show up, people just know that love is in the room. And I'm not talking about swinging a hammock on a spring day. I'm talking about genuine love that flows out of you because Jesus is living his life in you. And what else? Help me. Y'all should be able to really spit that out by now. Through you. So when you show up, he's loving people. That's how you become love. You show up and you let go and say, ah, Jesus, just be yourself. Just be yourself. And we talk a lot about authenticity in our culture and being real in our culture. And it gets equated with just being snarky or critical or judgmental. Well, I'm just being real. Is that really real? Isn't it real that if you're a child of God, that what is real is reflected in the nature of Jesus, right? That's real. Not just real snarky, but real loving. Life coming out of you and through you. So that when you show up in the room, people go, I kind of want to be around them. Because when I'm around them, something's lifted in me. Don't you love people like that? Don't you want to hang around people like that? Don't you want to be friends with people like that? So that when you leave their presence, you're better than when you were before? And don't you want to be that kind of person? So that when you walk in a room, you don't part the Red Sea. The Red Sea part comes down upon you because people want to be with you. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you desire? Well, what is that? It's not because you're all that in a bag of chips. It's because God is all of that in a bag of chips in you and through you. Does that make sense? I, I, beat, I beat that horse to death right there. But I think this is so critical, and it's a piece that we miss in the middle of all this. So as we get whole, as we are growing, as life is getting integrated, we integrate life. And that means body, mind, and spirit all working 
And uh, Renee, on Sunday, you talked about the spokes of a wheel and how Christ is the hub, the center. But if any of those spokes are off, it throws the wheel out of balance. But we want to have a wheel that's balanced, amen? All those pieces together. And that's something we're going to continue to talk about as a church family. So we want to be free so that we can love. Listen to this. What is your part in being set free? So now let's get real practical here. Because this is what we want to know, right? How? Okay. I know in Christ I'm free and being freed. I know that. I'm saved and being saved. I'm holy and being made holy. I'm being sanctified. So I'm sanctified and I'm being sanctified. I'm consecrated and I'm being consecrated. That means set apart. All of that's happening at the same time. So what is our part? What role do we play? So here's some things that are going to be helpful and practical for you. So your part is to depend on rely on and draw from Christ as your source. I always, I get mental images, and I'm sorry I'd throw these on you all the time, but i just sorry you're in my head right now. So I get the picture of Carol Burnett grabbing Harvey Corman on the way out the door. Anybody ever watch Carol Burnett? Yes, I'm old enough. Some of you are going, nah, I know what you're talking about. So for this older generation... Harvey Corman and Carol Burnett, every time they did these silly, crazy love scenes, they were hysterical. And she was just the desperate, not let him go. And he would try to get out the door and she'd grab his leg, right? And what would he do? He would drag her to the door, right? And it was hysterical. It was funny and all that. But it's a, it's a mental image of that is how I want to be with Jesus. I want to be Carol Burnett in this scene. I want to grab hold of him like Jacob grabbed hold of the man of God at the river Jabbok in the Old Testament. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you confer your blessing upon me. Unless you confer it, I'm not going to let go. And apparently it was a pretty intense struggle because Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. Because the angel of the Lord literally displaced his I get the picture of him just really just uh, the angel of the Lord trying to throw him, and he's just saying, I am not going to, you can kill me, but I'm not letting go. There's something about that perseverance and tenacity that I relate to and I like. But here it is. Our part is to depend on, rely on, and draw from Christ as your source. You know how that fleshes out in real life? It means when I get up in the morning, I actually ask God, what are we going to do today? Lord, what do you want done today? This isn't deep, and it's not melodramatic at all. It's like, Lord, what do you want done today? What do you want done? What do you want said? Oh, I've got an agenda. I've got a schedule. I've got things to get done. I've got meetings. I've got things to prepare. Things are happening. But what do you want to get done? In the midst of all of the busyness of life and the boxes that have to be checked off, Lord, what do you want done? Lord, what do you want said? And Lord, how can I participate with you? I remember talking about this, and, and some of you will remember this. Some of you actually probably did this study with Henry Blackaby, Experiencing God. And did anybody ever do Experiencing God? Was that not a fantastic study? I love the premise of that book. You look to see where God's working. You adjust your life to Him, and then you join Him in His work. And that has been a driver for me since... I read that study in 1989 when I first picked up that workbook. 
I was a student at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I picked up that workbook at Lifeway Christian Store right there on the campus, and I could not put it down. I had a stack of books I was supposed to be reading for class. I could not put that workbook down, and it wasn't assigned reading because it resonated with me and it, because it made sense. How do I find the will of God? How do I stay aligned with His purpose and his plan and how do I stay in his will and his way and when I found out I need to look to see where he's working and then align myself to him and join him in his work and it's like that makes sense that I can do and that's really what we're talking about when we're depending on him we're saying what are you up to Lord because I want to get in on that I want to participate in that I told the story about um John Eldridge, you're familiar with Ransomed Heart, great ministry. He wrote Wild at Heart years ago. He wrote Epic, several books. He's got a new one coming out that I'm going to be pushing on all of you later in February, and I'll bring that up later. But John, just this last year, said on one of his podcasts, and then he repeated it at the conference I was at in Colorado, he said he was looking in a mirror, and he, was, he, just, he said he just stopped, and he said, you look so old. He said, there are, he said, and he said, I'm getting old before my time. And we all kind of feel that way, right? Amen. <laughs> We're all 12 in here, but <laughs> we just don't jump like we used to, right? And run like we used to. But he said, he looked in the mirror and he said, you're getting old before your time. And he, and he got really despondent about it. And he prayed. He said, Jesus, what's going on with me? I feel like my body's just, it's not matching my heart. It's not matching even my age. I'm old before my time. He said, why am I, why do I look so bad? I look like 100 miles of bad road. And he said, the Lord whispered to him, he said, because you're doing things I have not told you to do. And if you know anything about John, he's a go-getter. He's, you know, top A. He's just, let's get it done. And he's driven a ministry. And he's done a lot of things the Lord has told him to done. But he's, according to the Lord, he's doing things he hasn't. In other words, he's taken on more than what the Lord had for him. And I thought, wow, what a profound thing to hear. You know, the Lord's not called you to do everything, but he's called you to do something. And the something you're called to do is the very thing we need to align with. Amen? And if somebody asks you to do something, it's okay to say no. I know that's not in our vocabulary for most, but there is a point where you have to say, no, I don't think I'm supposed to do that right now. Or it's not wrong to say, you know what, I'm going to pray about that and really pray about it, not let that be short for never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I'll pray about that and get back with you. No, actually put it before the Lord. Say, Lord, is this something you'd have me participate in? Because again, we're talking about how do we depend on, how do we rely on, how do we draw from Him? So I just thought that was really profound for me, listening to John talk about he'd been doing things he had not been asked to do. Good things, by the way. Good ministry things, fruitful things, but not his assignment. See, there's only one Messiah, amen? And you're not it. And I'm not it. Amen? But why don't we sometimes act like him? <laughs> we, we sometimes get ourselves over, overdone. So, uh, again, so Christ is our source moment by moment in order to set you free. Did anyone ever read The Practice of the Presence of God or Practicing His Presence? I've seen both titles. Brother Lawrence, there was another one that broke it into two books, Frank Laubach, Brother Lawrence. That was the one I really liked the best. But it was the idea of keeping God in your thoughts 24-7. 
even while you're doing your daily chores, you're doing your daily work. For him, he was a monk in a monastery in Spain in the 1600s. He was a cook. He was lame in one leg. But he began to have an ongoing relationship with God, an intimacy with God. In fact, it became known in people that knew him, actually the word began to go out saying, this cook in this monastery has an incredible intimacy with God talks to him all the time. It's like they have an ongoing... He never says amen because he never closes the conversation. You ever fallen asleep, didn't say amen, woke up feeling guilty, like, oh my gosh, I kept God on hold all night. You ever done that? When I was young, I did that. I was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't say amen. And as I've gotten older, I, just, I don't say it near as often because I just want to keep the conversation going. I want to keep the line open. That's depending on relying on and drawing from. And so Brother Lawrence became famous and known for these letters that he wrote to his father and to others, and it got compiled into a little booklet called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it was all because of this understanding that I want to depend on him, I want to rely upon him, and I want to draw from him. And he did it by having an ongoing conversation. In other words, he wouldn't do something and then ask God to bless it. He would talk to God as he was going. Whatever, whatever task he had, whether it was going to buy the groceries or the cooking or whatever he had to do, he had to go down to the docks and get the supplies for the monastery. In all of his business dealings, he would bring Jesus into it and have an ongoing conversation. He even talks about, and Frank Laubach talked more about this, about actually how we all have an inner monologue, right? If you have a dialogue and it's not Jesus, you should probably be concerned. But there's an inner monologue we all have where we're just sort of have this ongoing thing going. It's like a third-person voice almost, but it's us thinking. But he said, now instead of talking to yourself, why don't you talk to Jesus in your mind? And you shift your emphasis off of talking to myself to talking to him through my inner monologue. Does that make sense? And it becomes an interplay and an interaction where as you're going through your day, you're just talking to him all day long. Some of us do it intuitively and naturally, and it happens. And you don't even, didn't even know there was a name for it or, a, or that it was a discipline, a spiritual discipline or a practice. But lean into that with more intentionality. Frank Laubach would even take on the corner of his pages in one of his books called Man of Prayer, and there would be a... Uh, uh, a number up in the corner, and that number was in his journal entries, he would say, this is the percentage of time I would calculate that today I spent in full conscious awareness of the presence of God. And it was never a really high number. It's 35%, 45 60 never 100 because it's an ongoing discipline. Does that make sense? But isn't that a powerful, beautiful thing? Practicing His presence. The beauty of it is, is you can do it at work. You can do it at play, where you live, where you work, and where you play. You can do it all the time. Just have that conversation. I hope that helps somebody. So here we go. Intentional pursuit of God. So we're talking about what we can do. What is the part that we play? There's an intentional pursuit of God. Intentional pursuit. It's a spiritual and willful determination to choose to engage God to transform your life. In other words, now we're doing what we do on purpose and with purpose. I don't want to just stumble into a relationship. You don't just fall in love, right? You fall in a hole, but you don't fall in love. Amen? So in our walk with God, in our walk with the Lord, we don't just fall into this thing. There's an intentionality about it. And it's a pursuit. It's where I, I love what um, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, that I may know Him. There's a willfulness there. There's an intentionality that I may know Him. 
in the power, oh man, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And we'd love to put a period there, wouldn't we? And the fellowship of his sufferings. That I may, because you don't get one without the other. But he says that I may know him, that I may know scope, that I may know him by encounter, that I may know him by experience, that I may have intimate knowledge with him. That's what that word know means. So intentional pursuit, spiritual willful determination to choose to engage God to transform your life. Have you ever noticed that when you choose to do something and you do it actively, that you have a much greater percentage or a higher chance of actually doing it? So in that spirit, my word this year is joy. It's fun slash joy if you want to be spiritual. So joy, right? So, so last year we got this thing on our wall, and it's huge. It's made out of stainless steel. We put it in the bathroom, and it says, I ch- today I choose joy. And every morning I see that. And it's a reminder to me, choose joy. No matter what this day brings, choose joy. No matter what it is, choose. So I make a conscious choice to engage joy throughout the day. And I have to remind myself like 7,000 times a day, right? Because, hey, we're encountering things all the time. Wait, choose. Be intentional. Do what you do on purpose and with purpose. That's willful determination. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2, uh, Paul says this, For I determined to know, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined. I was purposeful. Listen to this, and Bill wrote this part. The more we are determined to cooperate with God's process of removing spiritual plaque from our lives, the greater our experience of His love both for us, and there it is, through us to others. So there's a determination, a willfulness, an intentionality about cooperating with God's process. I know we don't like the word process, right? We want to pray and we want to zap, right? We want a Shazam moment. And you know what? Those, those happen from time to time. But most of what we have to do is growth and encounter. Someone called me today, not in a crisis, but just needs some counsel and some help. And they're about to go on a little retreat, spiritual retreat. And they had a really bad experience on one. And so it was kind of coming up like, like, ah, uh, you know, just like a choke point to them. And they're having some anxiety about it. So they called me and we just, we talked and prayed about it. And I had to tell them, look, I'm going to pray with you, but God may or may not zap this away. Could it be that the Lord is teaching you and stretching you and growing you? So what did you learn the last time you encountered this level of anxiety? What, what, did, you, what did you learn from it? What can we take from that? What's the takeaway? Now, what is that? That's taking a past problem, a potential anxiety, and saying, I want to learn from what happened before so I don't repeat it. What can I do to be purposeful? All it is is being intentional. It's making a choice. And I just talked that person through it. We prayed together. She was good to go after that and excited about going off on a retreat. And I said, call me when you get done. I want to hear a good report. I want to know what God did on your time away. But she just needed to be reminded to do this on purpose and that God is up to a process. I said, said, let me tell you what this is. I said, this is training for reigning. You've been given dominion over the works of his hands. You've been given authorities, conferred authority upon your life. And this is training for reigning. 
So don't look at it as a problem. Look at it as an opportunity. Wow, what can I learn from this? What can I take away from this? That's being intentional. Yes, training for reigning. We're called to reign in life. He says, he says, man, he says, I'm going to give you dominion over everything, all living things, creeping things, all this stuff. I'm going to give you dominion over the works of my hands. Is that not powerful? We've not talked much about dominion here in this church, but I'm telling you, it's something we need to address because most believers don't understand their authority and what the inheritance that they've been given in Christ. You'll smile a lot more once you get a hold of this thing. I'm telling you, it makes life a lot more fun when you know, wait a minute, I'm not under that. I'm over that. I'm not, the, I'm not the tail. I'm the head, according to God's Word. Amen? And when you begin to incorporate that and begin, wait, I choose this. Wait, this is who I am. Wait, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a prince. I'm a princess. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a king's kid. I'm royalty. See what I mean? That's not arrogance. It's simply agreement and alignment with the Word of God. It's, uh, it's saying what God says about you. It's not, there's no pride in that whatsoever. Remember, we're not all that in a bag of chips. He is. Amen? Does that make sense? He is. So it's about Him. So here we go. Listen to this. Matthew 7. I love this. Because I love the Greek in this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open. You hear the intentionality in this? These are all actions. These are something you do. This is how you cooperate in relying upon Him, depending upon Him. Ask, and it says, for everyone who does this, look, everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, what? It will be opened. Now, do you, do you find any doubt or question in this? I mean, it's pretty clear to me, but there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. I love this. It literally says in the original language, ask and keep on asking. So the form of the word in the Greek is an ongoing action. It's not, a, it's not start, stop. It's punctiliar in motion. It's start and keep going. So look at it. Ask and, and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Now listen, does that not change it just a little bit? In other words, it's not a one-time deal. There's a reason why Jesus used a metaphor of a persistent widow and said, pray like this. Be determined like this. But how often do we pray once, nothing happens, and we think God failed us? We think God ignored us. We think God didn't hear us. Could it be we're not persisting? I'm just asking a question. You can nod or smile or frown. It doesn't matter, but do something. Listen to this. Ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. Does that change this just a little bit? This, to me, says intentionality, purpose, determination, perseverance, endurance. Those who endure to the end will be what? Saved. There's an endurance piece here. Now look at now, apply the same language, and it's accurate. This is exactly what it says in the actual language. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives. And he who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, it will be opened. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've read that a few dozen times. I've exegeted that. I've studied it in the original language. But every time I talk about it, it reminds me that I need to persist in some things. I had a little heavy revy this morning, a little revelation this morning. We were meeting with our team, and uh, we were talking about harvest, and Annette was just, she was like on fire, like, I believe 2020 is going to be the year of harvest for us. I'm already seeing it. And listen, we're already seeing signs of this. And she said, so we need to pray for the harvest. And, and I've said we need to pray for the harvest. And it just dawned on me, like in a moment, this little revelation, wait, we're not supposed to pray for the harvest. We're supposed to pray for laborers for the harvest. Jesus said that the fields are already ripe on the harvest, right? The harvest is here. But what we need is laborers for the harvest. Guess who the laborers are? It's us. That's all of us. It's you. It's me. It's we. It's us. And so actually today I had a revelation. I'm going to shift how I'm praying for harvest. I'm going to pray for laborers for the harvest. What does that do? That gets you in alignment with the word and will of God. If you believe that God's word is his will, and you want to be in his will, then align with his word. Amen? So when you get in alignment with his word and his will, it sounds pretty much to me that it's a done deal if you're in alignment with his word and his will. Amen? That means I can pray with confidence, not with fear, trembling, and doubt. Well, I hope this happens. I'm wishing it will. Or confident and joyful expectation of a desired good. That's Bible hope. I expect God to move. I expect a harvest because he's raising up harvesters all among us right now. He's activating and motivating and filling and empowering harvesters for the harvest. Amen? Isn't that great? You can have white fields. I grew up in West Texas in the middle of cotton fields, literally in the middle of a cotton field. I walk out the back door right behind my granddad's shop, and it was a cotton field as far as you could see. You see an occasional house and a pump jack every once in a while. No hills, no mountains, nothing. But you just saw cotton fields. But if there was no combines, no tractors, no work, if there was no one to harvest it, it would rot in the field. How many generations have passed with a rotting harvest in the spiritual world because there were no harvesters? Can you imagine if all of us picked this up and said, Lord, what is my part in the harvest? What do you want me to do? And you get up in the morning and say, what do you want me to do today? What are we going to do today? What adventure do you have for us today? And here's what happens. When you get up and talk like that, the devil says, who do you think you are? You're a failure. You're a screw-up. You messed up. You made a mistake 10 years ago. Oh, my gosh. I know what you thought last night. I know how you talked to your, to your coworker. I know what you said about your boss. I know the argument you had with your spouse. The enemy just brings all that stuff up, and it just beats us down where we know now we don't have the confident assurance, the joyful confidence to go forward and do exactly what God's called us to do because we feel so beat down. But can you imagine being equipped with the ability to throw that lie off? Kind of like a cornerback chucking a fullback and just say, you know what, you're not getting by. You're not taking me out. In fact, let me just tell you, if you bring a lie to me, devil, I'm bringing the truth to you. This is what you say, but let me tell you what God says. See, this is when we learn to actually... Remember my friend, I told you about Pastor J.R. in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. He used to say this. He'd come preach at my church, and he'd always say this. And everybody loved it. And it was like the one thing I got from him that was like, yes. 
The word works, but you have to learn to work the word. Amen? This amazing tool he's given us, but unless we're in it, we'll never learn to work it. Amen? So not only do we have to get in the word, the word has to get into us so that it becomes like a tool. And you're like a, you're like a surgeon with a scalpel, a skilled surgeon. You're like a musician, an artist, a painter who's skilled and you know how to use the elements of this thing. Can you imagine knowing the Word of God that well? That when the enemy brings a lie your way, all you have to do is go, oh, let me remind you of something, devil. First of all, let me just remind you where you're going. Let me remind you that Jesus defeated you on the cross. He defanged you. He disempowered you. And the only power you have right now is manipulation and lies and deceit. You have no real authority, no real power on this earth. Did y'all know that? Well, why don't we live like that? Why don't we give him room? Why don't we give him the ability to manipulate us, lie to us, tell us we're no good, tell us we're unworthy, tell us that we'll never make it, tell us we're going to fail again. Remind us of the last time we failed. Don't get too excited. Don't get your hopes up because they'll just get dashed again. Does that not sound like something you hear from time to time in the mirror? Don't get your hopes up. Don't get too excited. If you get too excited, you're just going to get disappointed. Am I speaking? I'm not speaking the truth. These are lies, by the way. But this is what we hear. And then we get barraged with this stuff. And can you imagine being so armed with the Word of God and go, okay, well, you run on your mouth, devil. Let me just remind you of some things. In fact, let me just get some help, devil, because I can't remember all this myself. So... Uncle Bill produced something that's going to help me out. In Christ, I am righteous and holy. In Christ, I am unconditionally loving. In Christ, I am confident. You hearing this devil? You want me to read the whole thing? You're going to shut up now. We've been given authority over the enemy and dominion over the earth. But we have to work the word. We have to get the word not only in our heart but on our lips. Remember what the Bible says? I would that men everywhere pray, lifting holy hands. And he says, the fruit of lips, the fruit of our lips, the words we speak, the words we say, our words are powerful, and what you say matters. What you say matters. Your words are a force of nature. And your words move things. Do you know your words change atmospheres? Just walk into a room and let one really negative, ticked-off person walk in the middle of a room on a good day. What happens? Does it tank the atmosphere or not? What is that? It's the power of words. But let somebody walk in a room who's lit up, who's excited, who's high on life, who who's, who's says, I don't care what kind of day I'm having, I'm still winning. I woke up today and I hit the lottery. I got a pulse. I'm here and it's good enough for now. What does that do? It also changes the atmosphere of the room. Amen? It brings life. It brings grace. It turns a light on in a dark place. And that's who we are. We are lights in a dark world. We get to show up and shine out. And it's not even that hard. The world's so dark, just show up. It's like a pin light in a dark room. It doesn't even take much light, does it? It doesn't even take much effort. Just try being kind to somebody in the name of Christ and see if you don't light their world up because it's such a dark world. I'm about to preach, amen? Get excited about this stuff. I actually believe this stuff. That's why I get excited. Look at that. Ask, ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on, keep on, keep on. You getting the picture here? 
Stay at it. Don't give up. Don't quit. Remember that even pursuing God is a response to His producing in you the willingness to pursue. I love this point. And I've taught this before in a different context where there were some people who said, I want to be hungry for God's Word. I'm just not. And I said, then you need to ask God to make you hungry for His Word. Take it a step back. If you, don't, if you can't eat the whole elephant, take a bite at a time. That's how you eat one anyway, right? You can eat an elephant, just take a bite at a time. So just say, okay, I'm not hungry, but I want to be hungry. So Lord, I'm not even going to pray for hunger. I'm going to pray, help me to be hungry so that I will become hungry for the Word. Take another step back, as far back as you need to get, and just take a step. Just a step. Okay, Lord, I'm going to go here, and then when I get here, I'm going to listen for the next thing, and you're going to give me another step. And like Bill Murray in that genius movie, Baby Step to the Door, Baby Step to... I don't know if y'all ever saw that movie. What about Bob? Anyway, it's a classic. Baby steps, baby step. Just take one step at a time. But pursuing God is a response to His producing in you. Where does faith come from? Let's just be real. You do not produce faith. You don't. You don't even, we don't have the capacity to produce faith. We have the capacity to contain it, but not to produce it. He produces faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Now, we say the Word of God, and yes, the Bible, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying the gospel, the message of Christ. Break it down in the language. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ, the gospel. So here's what happens. Somebody shared the gospel with you, and it produced in you faith to believe it. Does that make sense? I remember the day it happened to me, sitting at a chalk talk in the little uh, Fellowship Hall First Baptist Post. Pastor Steve McMeans, who was a youth minister there, was drawing the little chalk thing. And as he preached the gospel to this, I was a senior in high school, as he preached the gospel, something began to well up in me. And I was like, what is going on? I mean, it almost scared me. But something was like, it was like I was getting bigger on the inside than I was on the outside. I'm like... What is going on? And what was happening was my mind was starting to shift, and I began to believe faith was coming. Why? Because I was listening to the message of Christ, and I was getting the revelation. I get emotional talking about it. It was like, it was like the layer got peeled back. That's what revelation is. It got revealed, and it was like, this is true. This is real. I believe. I remember just thinking in my mind, I believe. And I was like, what does this mean for me? I mean, this was like my mind just, but what, what happened? The gospel, the message of Jesus produced faith. You know what's crazy about that? Is the Bible even says that the preaching of the word is foolishness. It doesn't even make sense in natural terms. Somebody gets up, shares the gospel, whether it's on a stage like this or sitting at a bus stop or standing in a line at Walmart or aisle four, whatever it is now at HEB, now that they've changed everything, whatever aisle four is, but you're there and somebody shares the message of Jesus and faith comes. You didn't produce it. It came because He produced it. And that's what this is. Remember that even pursuing God is a response to, look, His producing in you the willingness to pursue. So remember what the centurion said to Jesus? He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Remember that? 
Lord, I, I love that prayer. So honest. Lord, I believe, but for that which is lacking, make up for it. I believe it helped my unbelief. It's the same principle here. Some of us need to just take a step back and say, Lord, I want to be hungry for your word, but I'm not. But I want to be. So, Lord, would you produce in me a hunger for your word? Help me know where to start. Where do I start? Where do I t- if I'm going to eat an elephant and it's one bite at a time, where do I start? This is a big animal. Where do I go? How, what's the first bite, the first step? Here's number two, abiding in Christ. First was intimacy with God, pursuing God. Pursuing intimacy. Now this is abiding, this idea of leaning into and abiding. Now the word abide, if you think about abode or to dwell, it means to live there. That's all that is. To abide in Christ is to live there. It's where you make your home. The fact that Christ takes up residence in us, He abides in us, He dwells in us, what does that mean? He's making His home in us. That's why we're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. He makes his home. Isn't that crazy? The God of the universe who hovered over the nothingness, chaos, and brought the world out of, brought order out of disorder, dwells in you. That's massive. That should be thunder in our souls. Amen? That's massive. I made this comment in our meeting today. I said, we talk like believers, but we live like practical atheists. We say we believe until there's a mountain in front of us, until a calamity comes, until a crisis comes, until the wheels fall off. We say we believe, we talk a good talk, but when the reality of it is, do we really believe? Do we really? Are we believing believers? To quote Joyce Meyer, are we believing believers? That's a challenge, isn't it? Well, here's how we know for a believing believer. It's when the wheels fall off and the crisis comes. That's when we find out really what we're made of. You know, the the test of the Israelites going around that mountain, you do know that the journey from the wilderness to to paradise, to the abundant life, do you know it was only 11 days as the crow flies? An 11-day journey. And how many years did they spend on that journey? Forty. Why? Because they kept going around that mountain. Why did they keep going around the mountain? Because they kept failing the test. Every time God puts a test before us and we fail it, guess what? We get to take it again. He's a good teacher. He's a good professor. And you ever wonder why you just feel stuck in Groundhog Day? If you ever saw that movie? I'm on a movie kick tonight. Have you ever saw an old movie kick, 80s movie kick? Have you ever seen Groundhog Day where it's just over and over, the same day happened over and over and over? Another Bill Murray movie. I'm stuck on Bill Murray. That movie was hysterical, but also a little bit frightening because our lives often look like that. It just looks like Groundhog Day. and We keep making the same mistakes over and over. Why? Because we get tested every time. And if we fail the test, guess what happens? We get to take it over. Abiding in Christ. Listen to this. Love this out of John. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, dwells, lives in, makes his home in me, and I in him. Look what he does. 
doesn't produce much fruit, bears much fruit. Bear means to hold weight. It's to carry. We don't produce fruit. We bear the fruit that's produced. Does that make sense? Remember, it's the fruit of what? The, help me somebody, the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit that we don't produce. We get to bear it. We get to hold it. We get to carry it. We get to steward it. It's a beautiful thing. Bears much fruit when we abide, when we dwell in. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And really the implication there is nothing of significant value, nothing of eternal value without him, apart from him. Listen to this. Learning to abide is often the result of maturing in your spiritual walk by the frequent practice, here it is again, that same word of intentionally seeking the Lord throughout your day. And I mentioned this, I added this little piece in here. This has been called the practice of the presence of God. It's seeking Him moment by moment, walking with Him. Now, here's what I do. And I do this all the time. I do it naturally. I uh, did it intuitively. Then I learned about this years ago. And now I try it. But here's the deal. I'll go for gaps in the day where I don't. But here's what I don't do. I don't beat myself up for the time I missed. I don't go, oh, you're so stupid. You're an idiot. You're too stupid to live. What were you thinking? Why didn't you have your mind? You should just... You're, you're a loser. Now, there's another voice that tells me that stuff. But it's not mine. It's not God's. And so instead of beating myself up, I just pick up where I left off. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, here we are. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Don't backtrack. Just keep moving forward. Do you know your father's crazy about you? Your heavenly father is crazy about you. He loves you. He adores, he's like, just pick it up, son. Pick it up, daughter. Just keep going. Like a good coach, like a good teacher, like a good instructor, like a good mentor, like a good discipler, like a good leader. He's just saying, don't go cry over that. Let's pick it up and keep moving. Let's keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. So here's a few things. We'll close. I'm, oops, I went backwards. Here it is. As you go through your day abiding in Christ, look what he's doing. He's supernaturally removing your solical plaque, and he's doing it by these things. And just based on the Scripture, he's renewing your mind to his truth. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that, but I really love the New Living Translation. Y'all should know this by now if you've been around me. But it says, be transformed by changing the way you think. For as a man thinketh his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth, what? Speak. The still we leak out what we're full of. Renewing your mind to the truth. Here's another one. Moving you from unbelief to belief. Everything, anything is possible for him who believes. I'm telling you, God pulls the limits off. He pulls the limits off. He pulls the lid off. John Maxwell, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, talked about the law of the lid. The law of the lid means you kind of get going and you keep bumping this invisible lid. You ever felt that way? Like you got a bungee cord attached to you and you get going and you just get pulled back? Or there's a lid over you like you just can't quite break the lid? That's called the law of the lid. It's a mentality and it's this fear of actually succeeding. It's a fear of responsibility. It's a fear of the responsibility of success. If I succeed, now I'm going to be expected to live there. See what I mean? That can, that can get scary. That's another conversation. Here's another one. Healing your woundedness. Oh, man. He's here to bind up the brokenhearted. Amen? 
He's here to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal, to give sight to the blind. He's here to do that. He also removes this plaque by moving you away from living from your flesh. Galatians 5. What is that? What is Galatians 5? It's all about walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh. It's about bearing the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. And so it's moving away from living on your own self-reliance. And then the last one. We remove solical plaque by removing your desire to judge, take offense, or live in self-protection. Philippians 1.6. We're going to be hitting Philippians here in the next little bit talking about hallelujah anyway for a whole series. We're going to talk about how to, how to find joy in the middle of a storm. Anybody ever in a storm? There's, there's joy to be found there too. Paul wrote that book sitting in a jail. And it's a book of joy from a prison cell. And so we're going to learn how Paul did that. But look at this. Philippians 1.6 says, Basically, God finishes what he starts. He who began a good work in you will, will complete it until Christ He'll complete it. He'll finish what he starts. He's the ultimate promise keeper. Removing your desire to judge, take offense, or live in self-protection. Did anybody read the book Unoffendable? I rec- recommend that book by Brant Hansen. Does anybody need to reread it? <laughs> that's, that's one of those you need to revisit about once every, every year. Just reread it just because it's so good. I hope you were encouraged by it and convinced by it. Amen? Let's all stand together. Free to love. We're getting free, amen? All right, that didn't sound very convincing, but I'm just going to roll with it. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for life, for truth that sets us free. And we lean into truth, we receive it, Lord. And Father, we walk by faith, not by what we see, not by sight. We walk by faith, and we walk according to your word. Your word says, and the just shall live by their faith. So, Lord, we want to be people of faith, not just people of feelings and emotions and seasons, but to walk by faith and do what needs to be done, to be instant in season and out, to be ready to give an account for the hope that's in us. I pray for my friends and my family here today, Father, that we will begin to learn how to work the Word. We know it works. Teach us how to get it on our mouth. Teach us how to keep it before us. Teach us how to dwell and live in it and to abide in the vine. Teach us, Lord, how to declare and speak truth over situations. Speak truth into atmospheres and watch atmospheres change. Atmospheres in a workplace, in a home place, in a play place, over our own community, we'd speak life and declare life. So, Lord, we bless you. Thank you that you're teaching us and that this is indeed a process. Now show us which bite of the elephant to take next. We love you and honor you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week.